Well, glory to God. God is good. It's good to see everyone at church. Welcome. Welcome those of you who are watching online. Uh, God has a message for you, and I'm super excited about it. So uh, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, thank you for the, uh, gosh, the just the incredible privilege to come to you and worship you, God. And we need you, Lord. Uh, some of us are going through tough times and others of us maybe not, but we all need you equally, God. And I just ask for your Holy Spirit to move here. I pray, Lord, uh, that everyone gets a word from you right now. During this service, Lord, as people are watching online, I pray everyone hears a word from you. That's my prayer, Lord. Would you change us and encourage us and renew us and do whatever you want in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I love that bumper video that we just saw. I, don't you just love it? I see transformation all of it. I like the part where Greg gets angry if he doesn't come to church. I like that part. That's so cool. And I like the part also where Rachel talks about God gave her this word and it's going to be better than she could imagine. And of course, she had no idea she would, would be pregnant a few, a few months later with triplets. Uh, she did not know that. So um, we're excited for her. Way to go, Nick. We're excited for her. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad to be here. Hey, uh, I, I, uh, I'm just kidding about the triplets. Uh, but anyway, I, uh, I, uh, I was changing the shutters on my house. And, um, and my house is a two-story house. And I had Mike Lewis come and help me out. And really, it's just an excuse for us to hang out. I mean, he, he's the brains of the operation, and, and he helped me out with the fence. And we really just did shared life with each other. It was a really cool time. But anyway, so I had to climb up this ladder. He was willing to climb up the ladder, but he's older than me. And I thought, well, that's the gentleman thing to do is say, I'll climb up the ladder. So I climbed up my la the ladder against my house, and uh, it was a... I, it was like I was climbing 200 feet up. That's what it felt like, 200 feet. It was really like 20, 25 feet, whatever it was. But uh, because of the position of the ladder and I had some like bushes out in front, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't put the legs out too far. So it was, it was not even, a, this, is a, a, this is a better incline. My incline was more like this. And I was going up. So I, I said, I said, uh, I said, Mike, I don't, I don't think, I think we need to stretch it. I goes, oh, it bows too much. It's not, not very sturdy. And it's like this. And he tells me, just go up it. It's more sturdy that way. That's what he tells me. So I'm going up this ladder. And as I'm going up this ladder, and it literally feels like it's just, you know, totally vertical. And I'm thinking, this is scary. <laughs> I am scared of my life going up this thing. And I had to put a drill in and, and keep going. And I had to drill this hole into the side of my house. And I'm going up higher and higher. And I'm drilling this thing. And, and I'm, I know I'm supposed to go up another, another level. And I don't want to go up another level. So I'm like stretching. And he goes, Pastor, you got to go up another level. I'm like, I don't want to go up another level. But have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been afraid? I think if we asked each other that question, most of us would say no. Really, we all have. Fear kind of drives us in a lot of ways. Um, this message series is called That Used to Be Me. And we're looking at all these different topics over here. And the one that we're looking at today is fearful. We're looking at fear. And for some of you, you've let fear drive your life. Now, you may not call it fear, but you're always thinking about that thing around the corner or what might happen or what could 
happen. And that fear drives you in a lot of ways. One definition of fear is this, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. I've discovered as, as, you, uh, as you go up uh, in this ladder of life and as, as you grow in your relationship with God and God calls you to another level of faith, there's some fears to work through. You know, the fear of loneliness, the fear of being a failure, the fear of not being liked, the fear of what others might think about you, the fear of change, the fear of being hurt, the fear of not having enough. All of those things are things that kind of linger on in our hearts here. As I prayed about this message and I asked the Lord, just like I always do, I said, Lord, what do you, what, what, where do you want me to look at in Scripture about this topic that used to be me and about fear? Show me something in, in your word, God. I need to hear a word from you. And you know where the Lord took me to? The Israelites. To a time when they were gripped by fear. The manliest men on the planet. The ones who can fight and go to war against anyone. The ones who had it all together. At one point in the history of the Israelites, they were so gripped by fear that they did not experience the life God wanted to give them. And sometimes we can make the same mistake. We can make the same mistake. All of us, God wants you to have a better life, right? I think we all desire that. I think you do, I do. You wanna have a better life. And for you to experience that better life, God is constantly calling us to places that we normally wouldn't go. Places of, of trust, places of relying on God and places of being obedient to God and places of you know, dependence on God. And it's much easier for us to kind of stay at the bottom and say, it's okay, I know this ground right here. And I'll make the best life possibly, possible right here. I have a few scripture verses in my back pocket. I know a little bit about church. I, I, you, know, I, I don't, you know what, I don't really want to climb up that ladder. I don't really want to go to that next level with God. Or you might be at this level, but in your mind, you're standing on the top. You know what I'm talking about? That happens. You're like at the first tier, but in your mind, you're at the very top. And that's, that's, just, a, that's just a scheme of the devil to convince you that there's no more transformation needed in your heart. The Lord took me to Abraham. 2100 BC, God gave Abraham a promise. And here it was, Genesis chapter 17. Here's what God told Abraham. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That's still God's heart. He wants to be your God. That's why he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. He wants to be your God. And verse 8 says, and, say and with me out loud. Can you do that? Say and. I will give you. The entire, what's those three words, guys? The land of Canaan. I'll give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. 
So it's the desire of God with his people, his children, Israel, to bless them, to save them, but he also wants to give them something in this earth, in this world, as a, as a mark of his goodness, as a mark of his grace and his mercy and his, his love for them. I want to show you a map here. This is what we're talking about. There was a time when the Israelites were in Egypt, right? They were there for 400 years. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. And God brings up a man. What's his name to deliver them? What's his name, church? Moses. You guys are going to have to talk, okay? I need, I need some help. It's Moses. Say Moses with me. Mo, thank you. So Moses, God brings up Moses to be that deliverer. So he's, uh, God works through Moses, and there's like 10 plagues that God does things and brings them out of Egypt, and they cross the Red Sea on dry ground and all this craziness. And now they're, they're, they're now on their way, and they're on their way to what's known as Canaan or the promised land. Say promised land with me. Promised land. So that's the Canaan and promised land, same thing. And this right here is a territory. We're talking about real estate. And this is prime real estate. It's beautiful. And the heart of God is to take them from Egypt into the promised land. Now, I want you to look at that because I want you to understand something. We have the same story. It's the desire of God's heart to see you go from this place of a slave to sin, to this place of freedom in Christ Jesus. From this old life to this new life. It's the same story. This is like a rerun with different characters. It's the same thing. In fact, I just read in my devotions, and this is not on the slides, but I read this today. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So you look at the life of Jesus and you look at scripture and over and over and over, you see God is calling people to a better life. It's not just salvation. It's not just free us from Egypt. It's not just take off these shackles. It's way more than that. It's experiencing a life that is marked by the presence of God. You're Jesus in your home, Jesus in your marriage, Jesus in your life. It's, it's a peace and love of God. And it's one more step above that. Here it is, here it is. It's not you just soaking it all up. It's God working through you by his grace. Using your talents, using your gifts, using your passions, using your mind, all of those things. It's God doing things through you. So you got that? that this is the desire of God from Egypt to the promised land, and it's the same heart for us today. 1300 BC, you see this. God does this incredible thing and delivers Israel from Egypt. So if you do the math, that's about 1,000 years after the promise. 1,000 years after God spoke to Abraham, then God delivers Israel from Egypt. When I think about that, you know what I think? God is good on his promises. God is good on his word. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Some of you have had a calling from God on your life and you've done nothing with it, but I want you to know the calling is still there. Some of you have been praying for your child or your friend or brother or sister and you haven't seen anything, but God hears that. Prayer. God doesn't work on your timeline. You're not in control. 
God is in control. And your job is to be faithful to God. Your job is to trust him even when things don't make a whole lot of sense. So the promised land is this illustration of the kind of life God wants to give us. Now here's what happens. They get up to the border of the promised land. Literally, Moses takes them to the border. And when they get up to the border, there's a suggestion. Actually, when you look at Scripture, it was depending on what version you read, uh, God said, go ahead and send in 12 spies. And these spies, one spy represented one of the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel. So the, 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 the plan was, okay, let's send in these 12 spies into the promised land, into Canaan, and they're going to explore. We do the same thing. Anyone like just researching? You're just researching all the time. Before you buy anything, you research. You know, that's just the way you're wired. You buy it and you research again. You're just always trying to collect data on whatever it is. Well, that's what they're doing. They're like, okay, let's go into the promised land and let's explore it. Well, these, these guys come back. And here's their report in Numbers chapter 13. After exploring the land for 40 days. How many days, church? 40 days. That's an important number. The men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. So they're in this agreement that this land has incredible fruit. And they say it's flowing with milk and honey. It's a metaphor that this couldn't be any more pristine. This is a beautiful place. You know, it's true. This would be an amazing place for us to live. Here it is. But next they say this in verse 28. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. See, every Israelite knew about the promise God gave Abraham about a thousand years earlier. Every Israelite knew about that promise. Abraham was the father of faith. He's the father of, 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 the, of the Israelite nation. Every one of them witnessed God work through ten plagues in Egypt. I mean, think about that a little bit. Every one of these guys were there that last plague when the firstborn died. I mean, they saw all this stuff. Every one of them saw how God took care of them while they were in this place called Goshen. Every one of them recognized how God was watching over them, and they are his people. Every one of them witnessed the hand of God. Every one of them heard God. I mean, God heard their prayers. Every one of them smelt it, tasted it, lived it, experienced it. Every one of them. And every one of them walked through dry ground. Every one of them knew what it was like to walk through that dry ground with a wall of water on their left and on their right. 
Every one of them looked back and saw that water just destroy the Egyptian army. Every one of them. Every one of them saw water come out of a rock. Every one of them. And now they come up to the border of this promised land. And what are they saying? There's giants there. There's giants. God must have made a mistake. He left the giants there. And they're, they're fortified. Nothing can penetrate them. And they're all along the coast. And they're all there. In verse 28, it says the people living there are powerful. And then the NASB, the NASB says it like this. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. So that word nevertheless, you know, like they give a laundry list of like, oh, it is beautiful, it's bountiful, and oh, look at the fruit, it's amazing. And then they say nevertheless, and that word nevertheless, the original language there, you know what it means? It means this, despite all of that. Despite all of that. It's like despite the beautiful land. Despite the fact that it's milk and honey, despite the fact that there's this fruit there, despite the fact of, of how beautiful it is, despite God's promise, despite God's covenant with Abraham, despite God's word to us, despite the faithfulness of God, despite the commandment of God, despite what God has done in the past in our lives, despite how we've seen him move through the 10 plagues, despite walking to, through the river, the Jordan, I mean, the, the Red Sea, despite all of that, there's giants there. It's too much for God to handle. There's no way God wants us to go in there. Rip off. God has brought us out here to die. God has brought us to this place to die. And we do the same thing. We're really not that different from the Israelites. We really aren't. I know there's some pride in us and we tend to think we are. But there's a lot of us that are stubborn. Are you a stubborn person? Things have to go your way. Do you forget what God has done in your life? Do you question God? Do you know what God wants you to do? You might say, well, yeah, I know God wants me to give my life over to him. But... Now's not a good time. I know God, I mean, I know God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into my life, but I'm just not ready. I know God wants me to honor him and, and with, my, with my finances, but just not, just not able to do it right now. I know God wants me to serve him and, and serve his church, but I'm just really busy right now. I know God wants me to love on that person, but you know what? They really, they really hurt me. We know what God wants us to do, but we, 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 don't, say, we don't say nevertheless. We say, we say but. That's what we do. We say but. I was talking to someone the other day, and they, they're not a, a Christian, and I just asked, asked well, what are you waiting on? talking to someone else who considers himself a believer and they're not serving in the church at all. And I'm like, well, what are you waiting on? Talking to someone else who hadn't given or anything like that. I'm like, well, what are you waiting on? 
I mean, what needs to line up in your puny mind for you to take a step of faith? What needs to make sense in your mind before you think now's a good time to exercise faith? What are you waiting on? Truth is, God is God, and we all have puny minds. I'm starting with myself. But the truth is, we all need God. And they said this. Look how fear works. They said, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Now, um, these guys have a reputation, Anak. Um, when you look at the descendants of Anak, it comes from this uh, name named Anakim. Anakim, uh, the, the, the name means long-necked. And these giants are well-known um, in the tribe of Israel. And you read about them as early as Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. Descendants of the Nephilim. The Nephilim were these giants, and they were known as fallen ones. They were the offspring of sexual relationships between the sons of God and the daughters of human, human daughters. And the sons of God mated or had sex with these earth daughters, and they produced these giants. And the story is, this is like biblical myth stuff, mythology right here. And the story is they were, could be anywhere from seven feet tall to as much as 30 feet tall. And people just feared them. These are the kind of stories that you talk around around the campfire. You don't talk about Sasquatch, Bigfoot, whatever. You talk about the Nephilims, the Anakites, and you talk about, hey, look, these giants live. And then they, we found out where they live. They live in Canaan. That's where they live. These 10 spies come back and they said, we even saw, we even saw these giants there. Nevertheless, yeah, we know God has promised that. Yeah, we know God, he's a good God. Yeah, we know him. He, well, yeah, we know, but you know what? There's giants there. All bets are off. This is a showstopper. We have giants today. You, you want to know one, one giant? Let me tell you one giant. His name is COVID. All I have to do is say, there's a breakout at Thorn Creek Church, and 80% of us have COVID. Would you come to church next week? No, you wouldn't. Many of you wouldn't. Oh, it, it's a scary thing. Oh, that restaurant, or it's coming this way. It's the invisible giant, but it's bigger than us. I have a front row seat to this, guys, after being in ICU for 10 days because of COVID. I understand how someone, especially someone who doesn't know Jesus, can be terrified of this thing. I get it. But we have giants in our life that are bigger than us. Maybe it's not COVID, but it could be pride. It could be an addiction. It could be lust. It could be whatever. It's, it's something in our life that's bigger than us. And you know what we've, done, we've learned to do is just cohabitat with that giant. We're just going to live with this thing. And he's a really nice, big, furry, 30-foot giant. But uh, he, he uses, you know, trees with, for a toothpick. And, but he's a really nice guy. And he can live, we can live with him. I want you to hear this. Fear can keep you out of the promised land. God's desire is to give you a better life. Emotionally, spiritually, in every way. God wants to give you a better life. He wants you to, have, he wants you to know him in your home. He wants you to know him in your past and your present and your future. 
But you could say nevertheless. You can say but. And you can say, yeah, I know this is what I should. I know this. I know. And the worst thing is, is when you're living on this level and you're thinking, I already know all that stuff. And I'm in my mind, I'm living up here. But there's no visible fruit that you're living up there to everyone else. There's no visible fruit that you are living a dead to self, a life for Christ. And people can look at your life and hear your words and see your actions and know that you have denied yourself and you're living for Christ. You're fooling yourself. Look what happens. See, to enter the promised land, to kind of go up this ladder of fear, like there's giants on the other side, um, you have to come face to face with some fears. There's no workaround. There's no, we'll, we'll just wait till the giants disappear. It's not like that in Scripture. You know, God never says, hey, Israel, give me 30 days and I'm going to create a storm and I'm going to blow all the giants out of the land. He doesn't say that. They stay there. They don't go away. It's the, the burden is all on the Israelites to take this step of faith and go into this land. The entire burden is on them. It's not like once things clear up, then... I'll exercise faith and obedience. That's not it at all. Caleb intervenes. So there's 12 spies that go out, and there's two spies, you can guess who the two spies are, who say we can take the land, we can take these giants, and that's Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb are the only two out of the 12 that say we can take them. Caleb says, verse 30, he says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. See, Caleb's really trying to, like, let's do it, guys. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. And there it is again. Would you read that aloud with me? They are. And that's just it. I want you to know, some people will only see giants. Some people will only see giants. You say, hey, let's take this hill. And they're going to talk about why you can't take that hill. You're going to say to them, hey, boy, we really need, uh, we, we really need to you know, come together as a church. We really need to do this. We need, I mean, there's a battle going on. We need your gifts. And all they see is, yeah, but not for me. It's for someone else. But I'll tell you if you're doing it wrong, right? Some of you are there. I'll tell you if you're doing it wrong. Some of you, um, God is saying, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. The fields are white for harvest. Let's go. And some of you are like, mm, all I see are giants. I'm going to wait for the giants to go away. I'm going to wait. Look what these guys do. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour. Devour. What a strong word. Anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were, were what? Were huge. We saw. Now, now he's talking. Now, now these 10 spies, they're not talking to just Moses at this point. They're talking to the entire leadership. They're talking to the entire, everyone who has ears can hear this. So then now he says, um, this is another version, NIV, says, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like, what, grasshoppers 
in our own eyes and we look the same to them. You see fear bubbling up inside of them? It's really interesting because verse 28, when you look at that early one, they're talking to just Moses. They use the word Anak. They said the descendants of Anak. Look at verse 28. But verse 33, when they're talking to the whole community, they say, we saw the Nephilim there. They're using the, the descendants of Anak, and they're saying the Nephilim. The Nephilims are much more scary than the Anakites. Much more scary. And they're building it up. That's what we do sometimes with our imaginations. They're building it up. No, 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 no. It wasn't, wasn't the Anakites. It was the Nephilims were there. Ooh. That's the showstopper right there. It's really bad. It's really bad. Moses probably were thinking, you didn't say anything about Nephilims earlier. You said Anakites. Now you're saying Nephilims in front of all these people? Have you ever seen people, they change your story when there's a crowd around, and you think, well, what's up with that? And then he said, next to them, we feel like grasshoppers. Well, every Israelite knows what a grasshopper is. You know why? Because they had special dietary laws. And the grasshopper was the smallest edible creature for them. So they understood grasshopper. And they said, you know what, they're so big, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's probably what we looked like to them. The nature of fear, the nature of fear is it's centered around something that is bigger and stronger than you. That's the nature of fear. The nature of fear. I remember when I started playing football when I was in like sixth grade, and I remember going up against these guys, they were just called the East Side. That's what they were called. That's just a bad name for, I mean, they just, just the name alone evoked fear inside of me. And I just remember they were all bigger than me. I wasn't, you know, my size right now, which isn't very big at all. But I, I just, I, I just remember seeing, I was playing a corner, I was, I was a defensive back, and I just remember seeing one of their big guys, he was just big and fat and scary, and he just got pulled out of the line, and he was coming at me full speed, and I'm thinking, I've got to go against that? I don't want to go against that? We have a basic fear with something that is bigger than us and stronger than us. Something that we perceive is bigger than us, and we have to make a decision, am I going to fight or am I going to flee? That's what we go through. Incidentally, why did God allow giants to stay in the promised land? Why did he allow them to be there when they showed up to the border? God said, go send these 12 spies. They go check them out, and they see the giants. Why did God allow giants there? Why did he want them to see the giants? Why did he want them to see the fortified cities and see their stature and their strength? And incidentally, these guys living in Canaan, they were in battle a lot. So they were fit. They were in shape, physical shape. They were ripped, ready for the next battle. They weren't lounging around on the couch, you know, going to go play a football game or something like that. These guys were in battle already. So they see all this and they say, there's no way. I want you to hear this. God wants you to fight for your promised land. He wants you to work through fear and limits of your strength. Then you will learn it's never been about your strength. It's always been about his spirit, and you will give credit to God for the victory. That's why God allows you to face giants. Because there's no way you can beat them on your own. There's no way. If you, tru if, if you truly are going to 
walk with God, God is going to take you places that will stretch your faith and challenge you. If, if you're not experiencing that, then I would argue with you whether or not you're truly being obedient to God. Because if you're truly being obedient to God, he will take you places that you wouldn't go otherwise. We had our men's night last Tuesday night. Um, we had um, 37 men show up, guys. 37 men on our men's night. We're going to do this once a, once a month. And we're, the reason why we're doing this, we're trying to raise up men who are lovers of Jesus. Men who are lovers of integrity. Men who are courageous and will do the right thing. Men who will become spiritual leaders and, and, and seek God out with all their heart and seek his word. Uh, where there's a huge deficiency of, of men of God that are active men of God, I should say that. There's a lot of closet men of God, but there's a lot, we need active men of God. I shared with them some statistics. Did you know in churches across America, 60% of churches, or let me, no, in an average church, let me say that differently. In a church, 60% are women and 40% are men. Does that surprise you? 60% are women and 40% our men. Did you know 85% of our youth in jail, 85% of them do not have a father figure in their life? 85% of them. Let me blow you away. This one blew me away, this stat right here. Did you know if a mother brings her kids to church and dad stays home, he plays golf, he watches football, whatever. He, he thinks church is a waste of time. If the mom brings the, the kids to church, 2% of those children will become churchgoers when they become adults. 2%. That's what the studies say, 2%. Check this out. If the man brings the kids to church, regardless of whether or not mom comes with them, if the dad brings the kids to the church, 44% of those kids will go to church when they become older. Huge difference, isn't it? It says so much when a man says, I'll walk with God. I'll be the example. I'll live a life of integrity. And people see that, and the family sees that. It says everything. Anytime God calls you to a better life, there will always be a line of faith to cross and giants to overcome. There will always be that. They concluded this is a big mistake. And in Numbers chapter 14, it says this. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rode in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Same group of people that experienced God's mighty hand. I want you to see the progression of fear here. Their fear became anger. Their fear became anger. Then their fear needed a target. So who did it look to? Moses and Aaron, the spiritual leader. That's not unusual at all. It's not unusual for the pastor to become the target. It's not unusual. Then their fear became resentment. Why did you bring us out here? We should have just stayed back there. Why did you should just kill us now? And it, then it became illogical. 
We want to go back to Egypt. Just illogical. Then it questioned God's goodness. And then, ultimately, what did the fear lead them to? You know what? Being a slave in Egypt wasn't that bad. Being a slave. And that's what fear will do to you. It'll take you down this road of anger and target and resentment and, and, and illogical. You know, when someone's upset and someone is full of fear, what they say doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense at all. Their reasoning doesn't make a lot of sense. It's because fear has overtaken them. And it's so bad. Joshua and Caleb say this in verse 9, Do not, re do not rebel, uh, rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. That's what he says. They're like, come on, guys, it's okay. Let's take them. Don't worry. Come on, God. We can do it. We can do it. But they don't listen. And here's the consequence. Because your men explored the land for 40 days. This is what God tells them. Here comes the hammer. Because your men explored the land for, for how many days? Church, 40 days. You must wander in the wilderness for how long? For 40 years. That's where 40 years of wandering comes from. Because they explored the land for 40 days. A year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. God saw their fear as sin. God saw their unwillingness to take that step of faith as sin. God saw their unwillingness to go to the next level, to embrace his promise, to embrace his word. God saw that as sin. Then you will discover what it is like to have me as an enemy. Forty years later, 40 years after this, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, right? In the wilderness, and you hear about them eating manna, and you're, I mean, water and quail, and, and you hear this, all this craziness that happens during this 40 years of the wilderness. But something crazy happens. 40 years later, Moses is now dead. He's in heaven, right? Moses is dead. And the new guy in charge is Joshua. And they're back at the border of the promised land Again, <laughs> 40 years later, they're back. And the whole generation, incidentally, those men who refused to go in and they said, nevertheless, we can't go in, they're dead now. They never see the promised land. The only two guys out of those 10, 12 that see the promised land are Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two. So you have this entire generation of fathers, husbands, wives that don't enter, don't ever see, don't ever experience and walk into Canaan because of their fear. And now it's the children's turn. So the children are now, they're, they're adult, adults now. Mom and dad are gone. They're dead. And now it's the children. And now they're up to the promised land again. And here's Joshua. And he's about to lead them in. Now, if there was ever a moment where it was like that used to be me moment, this is it. Because the Israelites are coming back up to this promised land and they're like, you know what? I know what happened. We've been in wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because my dad did not want to go in. My mom did not want to go in. I, we were there 40 years. We've been in this stinking wilderness, and I'm so tired of manna. I'm so tired of all this stuff. I'm just tired of this wilderness, and here's my chance. You know what? I'm going to do something different than what my mom and dad did. That used to be us, but now we're different. Now we have a chance to write our own story. Now we're in the front. Now we get to decide what we're going to do with our family, 
And Joshua chapter 1, here it is. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, to the, the Israelites across the Jordan River, into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Listen, look at this. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. You know what that phrase means literally in the Hebrew language? It means this, I will not drop or abandon you. I will not drop or abandon you. And here comes the famous verses of Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Say that with me. Be what? Be one more time. Be what? For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Let's read it again. Verse 7. What does it say? Be strong. Very creative. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them. Oh, he's telling me, look at God's word. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditated on it day and night. Day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. That's, there, there it is. This is my command. Say it again. Be. Can you guys say that like you really believe that? Be what? Oh, that's beautiful. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 18 says this, Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command, this is what God's telling Joshua, everything you command will be put to death. So, say it again, be strong. You hear that over and over and over and over again, don't you? So uh, this is a that used to be me moment. This is a that used to be us moment. What God is saying is that generation that was afraid to go into, in Numbers chapter 13, that generation was not strong and they were not courageous. Even though they saw God move. Even though. Even though. You know what's interesting in this whole, whole story? I want, I want to say this. God's promised land for you requires spiritual strength. The life God wants to give you. You know, that next level that God is calling you to go up, it's going to require spiritual strength. It's spiritual strength that you don't have right now. You don't have it. It's a new spiritual strength it's involving God working through you, free, freely, God working through you. When God calls you, it requires spiritual stamina. It's not about your physical strength. It's not about your intellect. It's not about your IQ. It's not about how resourceful you are. It's not about your people skills. It's not about you in any shape, way, or form. All you have to say is, God, Use me. 
go before me, God. I surrender to you. And it's a reliance on the Spirit of God. The flesh is fearful. The Spirit trusts the Lord. This whole story, you know what's interesting in the Old Testament? The name Joshua. The name Joshua, you know what it means in the Greek language? Jesus. It's exactly what it means. Joshua, in its translation, in, from the Hebrew, the, literally the Hebrew name Joshua is the Greek name Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Well, he saves us from Egypt. I mean, our sin, right? Saves us from our sin. And it doesn't stop there. He, he invites us to this life with him where rivers of living water will flow from within you. And he wants to work in you and through you. And he wants you to learn what it means to be in Christ Jesus. He's taking you to a better place. It's a promised land. That's what the writer of Ephesians, Paul in Ephesians talks about this. It's this new life in Christ Jesus. It's our promised land. And it doesn't mean you drive a bigger car or a bigger house or it's more money or more freedom. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means you are relying on Jesus in a way you never have before. And you're surrendering yourself, your mind, your strength, your attitude, everything. And he is using you and you're experiencing him in your home. And he takes you and he uses you at work. And he uses you with your friends. And he uses you in the church. And he uses you everywhere. It's a whole new life. It's an invitation not just salvation, but it's God using you as well. Do you want some of that life? Too many people, too many Christians are satisfied with just salvation. And they don't know anything about climbing this ladder. All they care about is salvation. But there's this whole other life. There's this whole other life. Well, I want to give you an opportunity. <clears throat> What's God doing in your heart? You're not here by accident. God loves you. God cares about you. And God wants you to know him. He really, he really wants you to know him. He wants you to surrender your fears and worries and anxiety and stress and whatever else, your future, whatever. He wants you to surrender yourself to him. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give yourself completely to Jesus? Are you willing to, are you willing to go into the promised land today? And say, God, I'm willing to climb this ladder and I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do and be whatever you want me to be. And I'm willing to let you go into places of my heart that I haven't let you go. And I'm willing to let you occupy every place. Are you at that place? I want to give you an opportunity and I want to pray for you. If that's you, let's pray together. Say this. Jesus, right now, I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my sins. I give you my life. As best as I know how, I ask you to be my Savior. And I repent of my sins and I turn to you. Others of you, maybe you consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you need to say this, God, I don't want to be like the Numbers 13 Israelites. <laughs> I don't want to come up to the promised land and have reasons and all I see is giants and I never, I never experienced the promised land. I don't, want, I don't want that, God. So God, right now, I ask you to help me be strong and courageous. Maybe that's your prayer. God, help me to be strong and courageous. I'm willing to take any land you want me to. I want you to invade my heart. I want you to invade my life. If there's anything in my home, 
that dishonors you, bring it to my attention. If there's anything in my life that dishonors you, if I have an attitude that dishonors you, bring it to my attention. If there's anything about me that dishonors just bring it to my attention, God. And God, right now, I want to say I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.